Good evening. We are continuing our study on the Christian faith. Uh, we've been talking about uh, where our faith comes from, what makes it distinct, uh, and what are some of the beliefs that uh, hold Christianity together. And we wanted this study to be uh, broad enough that those who are not familiar with the Christian faith can kind of get a, a beginner's uh, taste of what uh, that looks like, but also deep enough to where those who have been in the Christian faith for many years uh, can also learn some new things and come away with a greater appreciation for their faith. Now, last week, we looked at the Bible. Specifically, we focused on what the Bible is and how it came to be in its present form. Uh, we did kind of a broad overview of both the Old and the New Testament, as well as some of the various translations as we have them uh, today. Now, what I want to talk about this evening and draw our attention to is the area of Christian denominations. Uh, this can be an overwhelming topic for some because there are so many different denominations. You drive down the road and you see all different types of churches with all different types of uh, titles and denominational labels uh, placed on them. Uh, and so it can really uh, be overwhelming to people trying to understand what their denomination, um, what makes their denomination maybe distinct. From a different denomination and so we're going to look at some of those uh, key areas as to what separates these denominations where they came from and so hopefully you'll walk away having a greater appreciation for uh, your particular denomination if you happen to be a christian and having a better appreciation for what the other denominations may believe as well now <clears throat> as we discuss these different branches of christianity i want us to be careful of just a few things as we dive into this a particular topic. First, um, we don't need to fall into the extremes of either one, thinking that all denominations are the same, or the other extreme of thinking that all other denominations are false versions of Christianity and that our particular denomination is the one true group of Christians. Now, as silly as those two extremes uh, may seem to some of you, I can assure you uh, that I, uh, throughout the course of my ministry, have heard both of those extremes uh, articulated and vehemently defended uh, before others. And so we need to guard um, from both of those. Again, thinking that all denominations are the same. Listen, all denominations are not the same. There are some differences, some of them trivial differences and some of them very significant differences. And the other extreme being that all denominations are false versions of Christianity and that your one denomination uh, happens to be the only true uh, uh, branch of Christianity. So let me state very clearly that each denomination is different in important ways. Some are more different than others, but each is distinct for a reason. There's a reason why these denominations have come about. But let me also be very clear in this that there is no perfect denomination. Again, let me state that very clearly. There are no perfect denominations because there are no perfect people, okay? Now, we need to uh, um, know what our denomination believes. You can even be uh, proud of your denomination. I'm proud of my denomination as a Southern Baptist, uh, but I am in no way under the uh, opinion that Southern Baptist is a perfect denomination. We're not. We have our faults. We have our failures. We can uh, continue to learn and grow and try to be more consistent with what God's vision for the church is. And I think all denominations need to strive for that. 
Now, you may believe that your particular denomination aligns more closely with God's word than others, and that's okay, but all denominations can continue to learn and grow and be more faithful to God's vision for the church, and that's what we should all strive for. Now, as long as the church believes in the core gospel, uh, then we can all be brothers and sisters in Christ, even if we disagree on some of the secondary areas of our faith, and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit, but I just want to be very clear. Even though we disagree on certain issues, doesn't mean that we can't uh, we can't still be united around the core gospel. That's that should what that should be what binds uh, various people of different backgrounds and different beliefs together. As long as we can agree on the core gospel, then we can still um, appreciate one another as a part of the body of Christ. So, with all that said, let's take a look at how the Christian church broke off into various different denominations. Now, some of this might get a little tedious. Some of you might not be very uh, interested in history. I'm going to try to give a broad overview. I'm not going to try to get down into the nitty-gritty and all the, the dates and details and things like that. But it is important for all of us to know where Christianity has come from, where these different denominations have come from, and what led to them springing up. So, after Jesus uh, Jesus's resurrection and return to heaven, uh, he entrusted the church to the disciples, who later became known as apostles. Again, the church started off as one cohesive unit. Uh, there weren't a bunch of de denominations; it was just the church. In fact, during uh, uh, the first uh, few decades of the church, they weren't even called Christians. They were just called the way, and eventually they became known as Christians. For the first 300 years of the church's history, Christianity was a persecuted group of people just meeting in homes. There were no church buildings. There were no sanctuaries. It was uh, just a kind of a cult uh, in the Roman Empire. They weren't seen as a uh, an official religion, and they were just meeting in homes uh, and worshiping uh and private like that. Now, there were uh, there was a lot of persecution going on during that time, but in the year 380 AD, an individual by the name of Constantine won a major battle and became the emperor in Rome. Now, before that battle actually commenced, he had a vision of what he thought was a sign from Christ that he would be victorious uh, over this other army. And so he had all of his soldiers paint the sign of the cross on their shields, and then they went into battle, they were victorious, and he became the new emperor over Rome. And because of the sign that he believed was from Christ, showing that he would be victorious, uh, he made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. Now, some people believe that Constantine was actually a Christian, that he actually uh, believed these things, and then other scholars believe that he probably wasn't so much into the Christian religion. Uh, Christianity probably by this time maybe had uh, grown more widespread and had uh, gained more of a following, and Constantine just wanted to bring some unity to the empire, and he did so through the uh, through the uh, idea of religion. And so, whatever it may have been, uh, that's when Christianity officially became the religion of the Roman Empire. Now, overnight, the kingdom of Rome had gone from persecuting Christians in the most horrible of ways, now to embracing them completely. And Constantine did a number of things. He declared that Sunday would be a public uh, holiday. He gave special privileges to Christian pastors. 
He also set up uh, special Christian shrines, both in Rome and in Israel. And uh, it was also during this time that instead of burning copies of Scripture, that Rome began to commission pastors and priests and scholars to collect and com uh, compile them into what is now uh, the, a copy of the Bible that many of us have today. So all of that sounds great, and it, uh, it should be noted that many scholars believe that it was around this time uh, that uh, with all the great things that were going on for Christianity, it was around this time that a lot of scholars believe that political corruption began to seep into uh, the church. People were there becoming, quote-unquote, Christians uh, just so that they could curry favor with the emperor and ra uh, rise up in the political um, uh the political structures of that time. So there were some really great things that were happening, but then again, there were some really corrupt things, just like uh, there are today. Now, over the years, there developed two big hotspots for Christianity uh, within the Roman Empire. One hotspot or hub of Christianity was Rome itself. The other was a city uh, of Istanbul, which later became uh, renamed Constantinople uh, in memory of uh, Constantine, the conqueror Constantine. Now, while there are various differences that emerge, uh, that were emerging from these two centers of Christianity, the most prominent difference was that the church centered in Rome was following the leadership of the priest there in Rome uh, that was called the Pope. The church that centered in Constantinople uh, was following the leadership of councils uh, of a council of pastors and priests. Now, Eventually, over many, many years, uh, tensions began to build between uh, the church that centered in Rome and the one that centered in Constantinople. And so tensions built so much that eventually uh, Pope Leo IX excommunicated uh, the council in Constant Constantinople. Now, basically, that, that word excommunicated basically means that he officially said that, they, uh, that that council and that that group of Christians were no longer true, real Christians, that they would no longer uh, be admitted into heaven. That was uh, the belief that was going on during that time. So in typical uh, middle school type response, since uh, the church in Rome under Pope Leo IX decided that he would basically kick uh, um, the church in Constant Constantinople uh, out of heaven, uh, the, the council there of priests decided that they would excommunicate Pope Leo IX. And so one group says, you're not going to heaven. The other group says, no, no, you're not going to heaven. And this came to be known as the great schism uh, of the church. Now, uh, this basically split the church that was one uh, into two. It became the Roman Catholic Church centered in Rome under the Pope and the Eastern Orthodox Church uh, centered in Constantinople under the Council of Bishops and Priests there. Now, fast forward through several hundred years of the Middle Ages and the Crusades, and we come to what has been called the Protestant Reformation. Now, up to this point, Christianity was split, again, like I said, into those two groups of Roman Catholic and Greek Orthodox. But in the 1500s, a Catholic priest by the name of Martin Luther became upset by the several problems that he saw and the false teachings he saw in the Catholic Church. And he decided that he would make a list of 95 different uh, concerns or problems that he saw. And then he nailed them to the church door there in Wittenberg, uh, uh, Wittenberg Germany, on October the 31st, uh, 1517. Uh, 
this was common practice. You know, people would uh, nail things to church doors because that was the center of the city. Uh, that's where all the announcements were made. So he decided he wanted everyone to see what he saw were the problems of the Catholic Church. So some of the concerns that he had were, for instance, the absolute power of the Pope in Rome. Whatever the Pope said, uh, uh, that was basically law. That was now uh, an official doctrine or belief of the Catholic Church. He also had a problem with widespread corruption of the priests and of the church. They were doing all kinds of um, politically uh, unscrupulous things and really just sinful uh, worldliness began to permeate the priests in the church. And he had a problem with that. Uh, and then um, he also had a problem with the additional sacraments uh, that were being added to uh, scripture that were um, not given to us in scripture. Things uh, like confession uh, to the priest, uh, things like uh, we uh, we would get extra grace if we took communion and baptism and christenings and things of that nature. And he also had a problem with the sale of indulgences or forgiveness, that if I gave a certain amount of money to the church, I could get some forgiveness either for myself or for a deceased uh, loved one who's gone before me. I could uh, get them to be forgiven and they could uh, spring out of purgatory. All these things were things that Martin Luther looked at and he said, none of this is in scripture. None of this is biblical. And so we need to get rid of these things. So the two biggest grievances, if you could sum them all up, of Luther uh, were the church's elevation of tradition over scripture and the belief that the church had abandoned the teaching of forgiveness of sins uh, that was uh, by grace alone through Christ alone. These were some, these were the main things that Martin Luther was having a problem with. So while Martin Luther didn't want to break away from the church, he just wanted to purify it from a lot of the corruptions that he saw in it. He ended up having to leave. The church did not, the Catholic church did not want to listen uh, to these complaints. And so he ended up breaking away from them. Uh, and those who left with him became known as Lutherans. And you still see uh, the Lutheran church today, giving us our first Protestant denomination. Now, this denomination still maintains much of its Catholic appearances because, again, Martin Luther didn't really want to break away from the church. He liked a lot of it, uh, but he just wanted to elevate uh, the importance of Scripture in the church. And so the Lutheran church looked in many ways like the Catholic church, but it does not follow the Pope, and it places a much higher view on Scripture alone. Now, during this time, other notable men also broke away from the church. One of the more notable ones is John Calvin, who likewise developed a following uh, that, which later developed into the, re, uh, the Reformed denominations, such as Dutch Reform and Presbyterian. These denominations focus heavily on the theology of Calvin, uh, which later became known as Calvinism. And we'll get into uh, a little bit of that maybe a little bit later on here and uh, in the weeks to follow. Now, eventually, the King of England also broke away from the Catholic Church uh, because uh, the King of England wanted to get a divorce and uh, the Catholic Church would not allow him to. So he created what is called the Anglican Church, the official church of England. And he declared himself the head of that church so that he could get that divorce. Uh, the Angl Anglican Church is also known here in America as the Episcopal Church. Uh, this led to some uh, Christians in England to separate themselves from the corruption they saw in the Anglican Church. They they thought, you know, uh, that this just the the Church of England, the Anglican Church, just doesn't seem to uh, really be uh, um, pure in their doctrine and in their 
uh, interpretation of scripture. And so they wanted to purify it even further. And so from that denomination began to spring some other individuals who, because they uh, wanted to purify themselves of this worldliness and false teaching, they became known as Puritans. Uh, and this is the group where we eventually get Baptists, uh, Quakers, and Methodists. Uh, then within the last hundred years, another denomination, just within the last hundred years of our lifetime, uh, the, another denomination uh, sprang up that became known as Pentecostals. And within this broad category of Pentecostals, you have things like the Assembly of God and Charismatics and other Pentecostal type offshoots. Now, that's a lot of denominations, and we didn't even cover all of them. That's just a broad, very quick uh, uh, flyby of many of those denominations and where they come from. Now, what I want us to do is we need to have kind of a basic idea of not only how those denominations uh, came about, but we also need to take a moment to see how they are different. Uh, from one another. So uh, what makes Baptist different from Methodist? What makes Presbyterian different from Catholic? What makes Pentecostals different from Lutherans? Uh, and so uh, that's kind of where I want to draw us attention to uh, for, the, for the time being. So uh, before we take a look at some of these differences in belief and practices, let me first say uh, that I believe that there is a, a what I call a hierarchy of um, beliefs and practices that uh, should not unite us as believers. And I believe that this is, an, is important for us to keep in mind when we begin talking about the differences between different denominations. Because one of the things that I see happen so often is we look at what makes us different as Christians, and we begin fighting and feuding over those, not realizing that not all differences that we have in these denominations are equal. Not all of them are equal in importance and things of that nature. So uh, what I mean by all this is that all Christians and, uh, and all churches, uh, we need to believe in the core gospel, as I said earlier, in order to be truly Christian. Uh, I often refer to this first tier, our, our pillar of our Christian beliefs and practices um, as primary beliefs, core beliefs, first tier beliefs. These are things that uh, are are uh, like Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he's the only Savior for mankind. That is a core Christian belief. If you can't agree that Jesus Christ is the one and only Son of God, and he is the only Savior of mankind from their sins, then I, I, can't, uh, I can't entertain the idea that you're an actual Christian. You may call yourself a Christian, but that is a core Christian belief. And without that, we need to talk about your salvation. Uh, we need to also come together that all men are, are fallen. We're all sinful, and all of us are in need of a Savior. If we can't agree on that, then, then one of us is not a Christian here because that is a core Christian doctrine. Salvation by grace alone uh, and not by works that I do. I can't earn my salvation. You can't earn your salvation. So uh, the, these are core Christian beliefs that need to be prominent in all uh, Christian churches. And so that's kind of our first tier of beliefs. As long as we can agree on these core beliefs, and there, there might be others that we would include in those, but as long as we agree on these core gospel beliefs, we can consider each other a part of the family of God, even though we may disagree on other things. That's why that's the first tier, the primary tier, the, the, uh, the core beliefs of the gospel. Then I believe that there's a second um, belief, uh, second tier of beliefs and practices. These are things that we may disagree on, uh, uh, but I will still consider you a brother or sister in Christ uh, 
but we may have a hard time worshiping together. So these are things that we're still Christian, but we may need to worship at different churches. Examples of, of things in this category would be, um, um, I don't believe in baptizing infants. Uh, so my Presbyterian friends, uh, they do. And while we may see each other as genuine Christians and we can hang out together, it's probably best if we don't worship together um, just because our secondary beliefs and practices and understanding of our faith may cause um, some, some conflicts and divisions there. Uh, these beliefs are important for unity, um, but they're not essential for salvation. Therefore, they're considered secondary. And, and so there are a lot of different beliefs you may want to uh, throw into this category, but any beliefs that you're still a Christian if you hold the belief, but maybe it's going to be hard for us to kind of uh, worship together at the same church week in and week out uh, would fall into that category. Now, lastly, I believe that there is a tertiary or third tier of beliefs and practices. These are things that are, are kind of, um, they're important Christian doctrines, but they're not going to uh, cause me to think that you're not a Christian. They're not going to cause me to think that we can't worship together. You can still believe this, and we can still worship uh, together, even if we disagree. An example of this would be what translation of the Bible uh, you believe that we should read uh, from, although there are some Christian uh, churches that make this a secondary issue, and they won't uh, they don't think that you can worship with them if you read from a different translation. Another example of this would be if you believe in a pre-tribulational rapture versus a post-tribulational rapture. Uh, these are third-tier uh, beliefs, and we can still worship together as Christians in the same uh, church body week in, week out, even if we disagree on these things. Now, why did I go through all that? The reason I, I wanted us to understand that is because as we look at these different denominations and what makes them distinct or different from one another, we need to understand some of these differences are really important, and, and we need to kind of pause and, and, and discuss these. And some of these are kind of third-tier uh, beliefs that really aren't that important, and we, we probably could worship together. Um, some of them we can't. Um, you know, I, I'll pray for you. I love you as a brother in Christ, but we probably shouldn't worship together on a, on a regular basis. So with that understanding, let's take a look at uh, some of these things. Now, since we're going to be coming through a lot of uh, uh, differences with the, the denominations, I'm going to simplify our discussion by looking at the, de the denominations through uh, three broad categories. And those categories are, are I'm sorry, two broad categories. Um, those two broad categories that we're going to look at are what authority the denomination submits to. So who are they following? What do they submit to? What are they, what it's the kind of guidepost uh, for their beliefs? And what are their beliefs and practices that they're most uh, well known for? So although we're going to be uh, looking uh, at these various things, we're, we're going to narrow our discussion to just a few prominent denominations since it would take far too long to cover all the denominations that we see in our nation. But we're going to be looking at them through those two broad categories. Who do they submit to and follow? And what are their most common and well-known practices and beliefs? So first, when it comes to uh, what authority various denominations submit to, uh, the Catholic Church, for instance. The Catholic Church believes that Scripture is authoritative, but uh, that uh, that authority of Scripture needs to be interpreted within the tradition and councils of the church uh, throughout church history. And so that can be expanded upon by uh, the popes, that can be expanded upon about, uh, by councils. And so you can't just read scripture and, and understand what the Christian faith is about. You also need to read scripture 
and read about the councils, church councils, and what the Pope has said, and that is the authority for the Catholic Church. Now, Baptist, Presbyterian, and Methodist churches, they view the Bible as the sole authority of, of, of the church. There's nothing higher uh, than God's word. No councils, no, um, no pastors, no priests, no, no, no anything uh, that is higher than Scripture. And while pastors, elders, and deacons may help the local church uh, guide them through various things, the ultimate authority over the church and over individuals is God and his word. And then that leaves us with uh, Pentecostal churches. They also view uh, scripture as the uh, as authoritative, but they place a very high view on modern day prophets, uh, which in some churches can be viewed as equally authoritative as scripture. And so you'll have some churches where uh, they'll have a prophet who uh, they, they claim have uh, the ability to hear from God directly, and he may say something or guide the church in a direction that you don't find that authority in Scripture, you don't find this teaching in Scripture, but because this modern-day prophet has had a, quote-unquote, new revelation, uh, it, he can guide the church in a new direction uh, based on what he believes God is telling him. Now, as for uh, what beliefs these uh, denominations are most well-known for, going back to the Catholic Church, uh, the belief that the Catholic Church is most well known for, uh, and it sets it apart from uh, many other denominations, it's, is its belief in the sinlessness of Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, that she was not born with original sin, and at least up until the time that she conceived Jesus and gave birth to him, uh, she had no sin, and some would even say even after that uh, she was sinless. <clears throat> and then uh, there's also... Uh, the, the belief in prayer, uh, prayers to various saints uh, that have gone before us, uh, the hierarchy of the church ending with the Pope uh, as their chief representative for the church. These are all beliefs that are very well known in the Catholic Church that you don't find in other uh, Christian denominations. Now, with the Presbyterian Church, it is most well known for its adherence to the tenets of Calvinism. And while we won't go into all the details of this brand of theology, Calvinism is most commonly known at, uh, for its emphasis uh, that God's sovereignty, uh, through God's sovereignty, he chose some people uh, to be saved, but not other people. And so God, before he created the world, he said, uh, this person's going to be saved, this person's not going to be saved. Some people uh, would maybe word that a little bit differently, but that's the essential uh, uh, crux of Calvinism. Then you come to the Methodist Church. They generally disagree strongly with Calvinism. They are much more what is called Arminian. Uh, they uh, put a higher emphasis on free will and your choice in things. Uh, and um, they are known uh, to teach that after being forgiven by Christ, so you're saved by Christ, he forgives your sin, and then as you go through the Christian life, a Christian, uh, according to many in the Methodist Church, uh, a Christian can go um, through life, uh, through faith and obedience, to maintain a sin, uh, sinlessness in this life. So you can attain a certain degree of sinless living or perfection in this life through, uh, through Christ and his sanctification of you. And then you, we come to uh, Baptist churches. Uh, they are most known for, as the name suggests, their emphasis on baptism by immersion. Now, this is uh, the only form of baptism uh, that is recognized by Baptists, which makes it distinct from all other denominations because many others will do sprinklings and, and things of that nature. 
Uh, but Baptists uh, maintain uh, believers' baptism by immersion. So not anyone can get baptized, only believers, and it's through immersion. Now, Baptists also maintain the importance of autonomy of the local church. And what that means is that Baptists, um, while they may choose um, to partner with one, uh, one another through things like uh, the NC Baptist or the Southern Baptist Convention, no other organization can tell the local church what to do or what to believe. <clears throat> and so uh, each local church is completely autonomous and they decide their practices and their beliefs within the Baptist church. And then lastly, we have the Pentecostal church. And they are mostly known for their emphasis on spiritual gifts. Now, some teach that speaking in tongues is a sign that salvation has actually occurred, while others simply teach that it's a blessing and not necessarily a requirement. Uh, but the, the key uh, um, teaching within the Pentecostal church is that you need to be um, baptized in the Holy Spirit, which gives spiritual gifts that are still alive and well today. Now, that's a lot we've covered so much, and I'm sure it, it felt in some senses uh, like drinking from a fire hose. So um, uh, I hope that you've gained some uh, key insights uh, into your own denomination as well as into uh, other denomination, denominations. And let me also just say real quick, um, while I've given a big brief overview of various denominations, please understand, uh, just like in Baptist circles, you can find different Baptist churches that hold different beliefs or take different stances on, uh, on certain things. Um, that's true in every particular denomination. Uh, you look at each uh, Methodist church, Pentecostal church, Presbyterian church, Catholic church, Church of Christ, you name it, uh, and you'll see that uh, there is the overall belief of that denomination. But then there are some little different nuances here and there uh, through various churches and different Christians within those denominations. And so that's this is just to kind of give you an overview and some handles uh, to hold on to when uh, thinking about and talking to people of various denominations. Now, as we close things out for this evening, let me just share a few final thoughts with you. First, if you are a Christian, I want to just encourage you to make yourself knowledgeable about your particular denomination. Uh, you need to uh, be able to identify um, why you believe what you believe and why you identify with the particular version of, of Christianity uh, that you worship uh, with each and every week. Uh, this is important. When people uh, identify uh, with a group without knowing what that group stands for, that's foolish and that's dangerous. You owe it to yourself and you owe it to God to know why you believe what you believe. Don't just be a part of the denomination just because that's the denomination you've always been a part of or uh, you just uh, it's just easier for you to go to this church versus that church over there. You need to know why you believe what you believe and why you identify with various churches. Uh, there are many um, churches uh, that call themselves Christians, but they're not. And they're only confusing people and leading them astray. And so um, be careful. If, if you're uh, thinking about going to a particular church of a, a denomination you're not familiar with, you need to know about that denomination because they may be teaching things and believe things that you um, that you don't agree with and that the Bible doesn't teach. And you need to know about that. And when you're talking to people who call themselves Christian, you need to know more about uh, what their beliefs actually are because there are a lot of people out there who call themselves Christians, and they do not hold to the Christian uh, beliefs. They do not hold to what Scripture teaches. Uh, so there are, are some true Christian denominations out there, 
um, that are also co compromising their beliefs. Even, you know, there are Presbyterian churches, Baptist churches, Methodist churches uh, that have that denominational label, but they're beginning to stray away uh, from uh, Scripture and from what that denomination teaches. So I say all of that to say that it's important for you to know what your church teaches, what your church believes, what your denomination believes, and why you adhere to that and why you identify with that particular branch of Christianity. So I hope that tonight's study has been a good first step for some. I'm sure that we'll come back to this topic more uh, in more depth in the days ahead. Uh, but next week, we're going to be um, jumping into some of the main doctrines and teachings of the Christian, uh, Christian church uh, so that we can know what our faith actually teaches. I'm looking forward to that. I hope you'll uh, join us with that uh, next week. But until then, uh, God bless and have a great week.